0: Thanks for checking out the weekly Harmony Church podcast. For more information and resources about Harmony Church or any of the Harmony events, check out the Harmony Church website or Harmony Church Facebook page today. These are are funny notices in church newsletters. Uh, The sermon this morning is Jesus Walks on Water. The sermon tonight, Searching for Jesus. (laughs) Hey man, I tried to walk on water. You saw the pictures, remember, two weeks ago? I did it. Catherine, Catherine was sinking. I, I was actually on the water. There was a big fat stone that I could stand on. Fasting and prayer conference includes meals. <laughs> Don't let worry kill you off. Let the church help. <laughs> There's so many of these. Things. This is amazing. I love the last one. At the evening service tonight, the sermon topic will be what is hell. Come early and listen to our choir practicing. <laughs> <laughs> You're going to see it, can't you? It's amazing. I'm so excited about this. I'm, I want to do a little series as we go to uh, Christmas. I want to do a little series and basically build it around the 500th anniversary of the Reformation. Now, of course, it's about justification by grace. By faith and grace, you know all this kind of stuff. But the thing is, though, it's it's really powerful. We were in Israel when it was on the 31st of October, which is also Halloween, which is very interesting. We of course saw the um, that was celebrated the 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 um, the 500th anniversary of of the Reformation, that really changed Christian history again as they came back to a proper understanding of the gospel, and a proper understanding of Scripture. It is so so wonderful. Now the problem was, I don't know if you know what happened in the Middle Ages. Uh, the Bible was all in Latin. And only the priest could read this thing. And of course, it was also chained to the pulpit. You couldn't even take it, even if you could read it. It was chained to the pulpit. So nobody knew the Bible and nobody read the Bible. Now, the very interesting thing is the spark of the Reformation really started with John Wycliffe. Now, I don't know if you know John Wycliffe. Some of you know, maybe know about Wycliffe Bible Translators. It started by John Wycliffe a long, long time ago. He had a vision to translate the Bible into English from Latin. And he did it with his team. Even after he died, he continued, they continued to translate and finished the work. So really the spark of the Reformation was a Bible translation. Powerful. Now, by the way, some of you have not seen it yet, but Brian gave me the first Passion Bible in this country. So... um, this is the Passion Bible, which is absolutely astonishing. Uh, it's not the whole thing. All the New Testament, uh, Proverbs, Psalms, and the Song of Songs. But it's beautiful. So well, you can have a look at it later if you want to, my beautiful gift. It's not so, good. so the spark of the Reformation was really a Bible translation because they started to read for themselves now what was in the Word of God and not what the priests was telling them. And they found out some really interesting things. One of the things they found out that they don't have to go through a priest to come to God. So the Catholic Church, you know? That's of course Old Testament anyway. But that's what the Catholic priest, the Catholics have brought in. Now the other thing was very powerful is there was no purgatory. Anybody know what a purgatory is? Three? Okay, in the Roman Catholic theology, a purgatory is, listen to me, is an intermediate state after physical death in which some of those ultimately destined for heaven, like us, you know, must first undergo purification so as to achieve the holiness necessary to enter into the joy of heaven. Now, and, and for this was the other heresy that they that the reformers really hacked into is, of course, for this you could actually have letters of indulgences. Do you know what a letter of indulgence is? What do you, do you know what an indulgence is? Yes. You would know. Indulgence. I'll say what it is here. In the, what? You get a, you get ten points this morning. That's amazing. So in the teaching of the Roman Catholic Church, an indulgence—listen to this—is a way to reduce the amount of, <laughs> oh, it's kind of funny, almost like uh, a way to reduce the amount of punishment one has to undergo for sins. It may reduce the temporal punishment for sin after death, as opposed to the eternal punishment merited by mortal sin. Anybody still with me? In the state or process of purification called purgatory. Now the amazing thing is, you could get out of purgatory by these. Um, These indulgences, but these indulgences, you have to do like you gotta you gotta you gotta kind of pray pray and 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 you gotta do lots of things or you gotta do works to to get points or in the end, of course, became commercial. You actually actually had to pay money. You could pay to your sins to be forgiven and make sure you don't you know. It's just unbelievable. So no wonder that the reformers protested about this. And of course, that's how the Protestant church came into being. Some of you don't know this, so I thought I better know a bit of history. So they protested and they want to reform against the Catholic church because this is just not on because it's not in the Bible. Now, this happened 100 years after Wycliffe, by the way. Because we think like the Reformationist, John Calvin had a beautiful revelation. One day he read Romans and thought, hey, I'm saved by grace. I don't like all this stuff. Let's hang this stuff on the door. No, it was hundreds of years. Here we go for, for this guy here. After Wycliffe, a Czechoslovakian priest called Jan Hus. Everybody say Jan Hus. Jan Hus. He actually had a revolt. He actually started a war. Serious. You can read about Hussite war <laughs> against the whole thing, Roman Catholic Church, about all this stuff. Jan Hus, what he did, he took the Bible translation of, of, of John Wycliffe in English. And then together at that time was the Gutenberg uh, printing press. So now he could actually start printing Bibles. And so he started to print Bibles and it became widely known. So we, they get distributed. The Bible for you know, it hadn't been done forever. You know what I mean? So it's amazing. Now, a 100 years after that, Martin Luther and Swingley, John Calvin. He's got a good side of John Calvin, you know. John Calvin, they were the reformers. They, they, they took this and they started to reform and challenge theologists. They listen, listen, look at the Bible, what the Bible says. Now, of course, the famous one was Martin Luther. So when he, you know, 500 years ago, he took... His 95 theses, I've got them right here, you can print them out on the internet. The 95 theses, he actually, as famously, you know, put it on the door of the Catholic Church in Wittenberg, right? Now, actually, he didn't do that. The postman actually did it, but it sounds really good that he did it. It feels like a revolt. I'm coming to the church, and I'm doing it. Was he not? He descended to the church and the postman actually put it on the door. Just that, you know, uh kind of takes, inflates a little bit the story, but that's the truth of, of the whole thing. I did some research about this whole thing, so that's it. Anyway, so here's a lot of the errors about the Catholic Church and the challenges he put in this whole thing about purgatory, about indulgences. He wrote in there. Now look at this. I'll do a few here, right here on the screen. Number 37, look at this one. Any true Christian, whether living or dead, Participates in all the blessings of Christ and the church. And this is granted him by God, even without indulgence letters. Amen? Fair enough. Now number 52, look at this one. It is vain to trust in salvation by indulgence letters, even though the indulgence commissary or even the Pope were to offer his soul as security. That's funny, isn't it? But that, that was happening right there. Now, the most powerful one that, that gets quoted quite a lot and really rocked my boat too, because uh, I kind of read this for the first time too. I don't know if you've ever read the 95. Have you ever done this? It's very interesting. It's, of course, number 62, very powerful. The true treasure of the church is the holy gospel of the glory and grace of God. Yay! Amazing, amazing, amazing. The true treasure of the church is the most holy gospel of the glory and grace of God. By the way, do you know we have grace and glory coming again in March? Rob Rufus is coming back. And we're actually going to do it. We've We've prayed a lot about it over the last month or so. And we really feel that we need to keep. Keeping a statement, I changed the name into Kingdom, and it was fine. But I think uh, we really felt like, no, it's about the grace and glory of God. It's everywhere in Scripture, and I felt confirmation came for this, and then I read something else after this, and also confirmed the same Scripture. So we're doing it. So it's very exciting. Early in the year, it's going to be absolutely amazing to have Rob back and Chad back. uh, Anyway, so Martin Luther, so his revelation, of course, came through... Um, his revelation that he of course got was the revelation of God's grace, justification by faith alone. And he got this out of Romans, mainly out of Romans history says, particular chapters 3 to 6. Now I want you to stand because we're going to read a little bit about this. I know we did a series on Romans two years ago. And for some of you, this is uh, going to be a nice little review as we go through this. Let's, 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 let's say it really loud together, this beautiful scripture, Romans 3 from t- verse 21. Here we go. Through the redemption that came by Jesus Christ Jesus. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. He did this to demonstrate his justice. Because of his forbearance, he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate his justice at the present time so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. Where then is boasting? It is excluded. Because of what law? The law that requires work? No, because of the law that requires faith. For we maintain that a person is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. Everybody say, apart. 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 You may be that. May the Lord bless His word. Very powerful. Today I'm talking about amazing grace. That's my title. Amazing grace. How sweet the sound. Amazing grace. And we see here in the scripture how beautiful, of course, that's what the reformers saw. It was amazing grace. It is Jesus plus nothing. It is Jesus plus nothing nothing apart from the law, a righteousness has appeared. It is not about keeping the law. That is old covenant. In the old covenant is do good, get good, do bad, get bad. That's what the old covenant was like. But it's not in the new covenant. The new covenant of grace in Jesus Christ is not about rules and regulations. It is not about what you do. It's not about your works. It's not about your indulgence letters. It has actually got nothing to do with you and me it got all to do with Jesus Christ. That's the whole point of why he went to the cross and why he would rose again, rise again. It is Jesus plus nothing. Please tell your neighbor. I think he said Jesus plus nothing. And that's exactly what I said. It is Jesus plus nothing. Through Jesus Christ, there's a new deal in town. It is a righteousness that is not of works. It's not about behavior. It is a righteousness by faith in Jesus Christ. You know what the beautiful thing is? It's actually the very righteousness of God given to you and to me. I love this scripture in uh, verse 24 in the Passion Translation. Look at this. God freely gives away his righteousness. That's a nice t-shirt. God Freely gives away his righteousness. Wow! What a good news! God has freely given away his righteousness. Now you've been excited at the end of this talk because it gets bad. See the good news is always in context of bad news. We sometimes forget the bad news. But the good news looks really good in light of the really bad Now, what it says in verse 24, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That is bad news. The bad news is we we are short some glory. Humanity has a huge problem. This is the context of Scripture right here. And the first three chapters of Romans, if you study Romans, the first three chapters of Romans, Paul talks about this. He talks about the courtroom of heaven. It is God against humanity, and we are not winning. You read it for yourself. We are not willing. We are in the poos. Can you say that? Good. That's not as bad, is it? We're in in the poos. We we, We are missing some glory. We are missing some glory. We are not winning in this thing. And the problem is that humanity is dead at the core. It is the hard drive of our lives, our spirit that is corrupted. It's a virus that we can't get rid of. It's a virus that we actually get when we're born. Everybody has this virus because of Adam in the, in the garden when he sinned. You know, we're thrown out of the garden. We lost relationship, disconnected from God. And our, our hard drive was corrupted. Everybody who's born, their hard drive is corrupted. We need a virus inspector or a, what do you call these things? Antivirus thing to come into our lives because we are dead at the core. We are so infected with this virus that we cannot be perfect. We cannot do it. A hard drive that's corrupted doesn't work properly. It will never work properly. It is simply not possible. Now a few weeks ago we were in Israel, my wife and I, and uh, we are on the Beautiful place here. That is the Mount of Beatitudes. It's beautiful, isn't it? It's like a garden. And it goes down towards Galilee. And so Jesus would have preached there, obviously. There on Matthew 5, he, he preached the, um, the, isn't it beautiful? The Beatitudes. The sea in the background. Me, of course. I don't know what Catherine Catherine. She was going to the toilet. I mean, that, oh, she took the photo. And then, then there's a road. Blessed are the meek. For them, you took the photo always at the toilet. I mean, these lines for the toilets was incredible. These women, unbelievable. And they always have to go every five minutes. Do do you have a problem or something? Honestly, it was incredible. Every time, a toilet stop again? Honestly, something wrong. I'll talk to God. Two things I'm going to talk about. What happened to the bladder of girls? And two, what happens to that we lose hair on top and we gain hair everywhere else? It's just not fair. It is a design fault. There's just something wrong with this whole thing, right? Maybe it's the inf- infection. Oh, it's the infection, of course. Sorry. It's the infection, Catherine. We've been infected by, Adam was probably perfect. Strong hair, just like Jeremy, you know? And then when he was older, he still had big hair, big beard, you know? So... They had a whole road, like blessed are the meek. So Jesus said some beautiful things on the mountain, right? I mean, you read Matthew 5. It is absolutely beautiful. But he also said some really challenging things. Now, one of the challenging things in context of what we're talking about today was in Matthew 5.20. For I tell you, if your righteousness does not exceed the righteousness of the Pharisees and the the teachers of faith, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. The first time I read this, I really felt condemned. How on earth, particularly when you go to Israel, we were there the other day. Honestly, when you go to the, to the Wailing Wall and you sit there and these guys are so committed. You know, I mean, it's very sad because we know that, that they don't have to do that, you know, because in Christ they're free. But they don't have Christ. So they have committed about prayer and they're praying the word. I mean, they are so miles ahead of us in commitment. And Paul talked about it, you know. My righteousness and my law, flawless. But in Christ, done. That's poos. Right? The thing is though, how on earth are we going to get this righteousness? I mean, if you look at the teachers and the Pharisees, how committed they were to righteousness. It's just incredible. You and I, no way, Jose, will you ever get to that righteousness. And then it gets worse. Jesus, at the end of this beautiful Beatitudes, he says, hey, if you're not, be perfect therefore as your heavenly father is perfect. Now that really threatened me too for years. Be perfect as you heavenly. Fa- how can we be perfect? Not possible. How can I be perfect? I know myself. I cannot be perfect. And so how can I be per- what, what is this all about? And then I found out, of course, that the perfection of the law was given to humanity as a mirror. God's law is perfect. It is beautiful, but not for righteousness. It always has a mirror. And still has a mirror today to the whole world. This is my righteousness. And you all fail. Blatantly. Australia again failed last week. Fail. We all fail because we have the corruption. And we live by the corruption. We don't live by the spirit. We live by our own lusts. What's going to happen next, man? We can never measure up. And if that's not enough, Paul then quotes in, in chapter 3, he quotes Psalm 14. He's kind of this, he's pushing it in because he really wants to show us what is so wrong with us so that what Christ has done becomes so glorious in our lives. There's not even one righteous, there's no one righteous, not even one. There's no one who understands. There's no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have together become worthless. There's no one who does good, not even one. We are in big trouble. Humanity is in big trouble. The Passion Translation, beautiful in Romans 3.19 says this, So that every excuse will be silenced with no boasting of innocence. And so that the entire world will be held accountable to God's standards. No one can boast of righteousness. No one can boast of innocence. We're all guilty. Wow. We are in serious trouble. Now, you guys, you have to understand this. This is the gospel. Because the gospel is that Jesus does something about it. But you have to understand, if you're not in Christ, this is who you are. This should fan into flame our evangelism. And our love for people, Christ died for everyone. But if you don't accept this by faith, you are facing a Christless eternity. You know, no one is righteous. You know, literally it means no one is innocent. Literally, that means no one is innocent in the court case of heaven. We are all guilty. Now, of course, Paul is building this because he's writing to the Gentiles. He's, of course, on purpose making this, the truth so strong so that we know that we all need a Savior. For all have sinned and fall short, the glory of God, 24, and... Are, some translations, of course, but are all justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Jesus Christ. Now, this is the good news. But the good news is only good news in relation to the bad news, right? It makes you happy. I am saved. Come on, say it. I am saved. Come on, he has saved us. Jesus has saved us. It makes you so happy. We are justified freely by his grace. And of course, you see it in Romans 5 and onwards, of course, you see the whole thing of the gift of righteousness he talks about. It's just beautiful. It's just beautiful. But it's in context of that no one is righteous. The only righteousness you get is freely given by God to us. How? Verse 24, through the redemption that came by Jesus Christ. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. Don't forget this. To receive, be received by faith. There is no universalism. Did Christ die for everybody? Yes. Did Christ forgive, literally, literally forgive everybody, the whole world? Yes. Does it mean the whole world is forgiven? No. Because you've got to receive it by faith. You've got to be born again. There's not going to be any non-born again people in, in, in heaven. You've got to be born again by his spirit. That's the only righteousness you're going to get. You're going to be perfect by his Holy Spirit to be born again as a new creation. Now, what's very interesting here is that it says here, because of his forbearance, he had left sins beforehand unpunished. Isn't it interesting? See, under the old covenant, as you know, that animals could not take away sin. They could only cover sin. And so all these, dec- all the, all these centuries, these sins were covered That's why I said they were unpunished. They were all put on God's credit card. And God carried his credit card. Christ is coming. He knew. Before the foundation of the world, Christ was, he knew what's going to happen. And at the right time, Christ came. You know what redemption means? Redemption means to buy back. Redemption means to pay in full. It's actually to pay your debt. So Christ, in the end, when he went to the cross for us, and when he rose from the grave, he actually paid God's credit card. The whole world, the sin of the world, paid. Gone. Worthless. The credit card now is gone. That was a Prezi card. That's why it's paid off. Gone. Prezi cards when you're not, you know, you know what I mean. Do you know what I mean? You know what I mean all gone our debts have been paid that's why it is so amazing grace and that's why we live in this perfection when we are born again we saw it last week Hebrews 10:14. and by one perfect sacrifice he made us perfectly holy and complete for all time that's what Jesus prophesied about if you're not perfect like my father is perfect in Matthew 5 if you don't have the righteousness that we have seen, you cannot be part that's coming guys it's coming when Jesus Dies and when he rose again, and particularly at Pentecost, and the Holy Spirit comes, you will be born of perfection. And so we, as Christians, are born of perfection. And when Jesus looks, God looks at you, and he looks at Jesus, He sees the same. We, you, 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 you're born of incorruptible. See, this beautiful. Now let's say it this way: There's a courtroom of heaven. Imagine that we are in the courtroom of heaven, before the throne of God, and we stand before Jesus. King Jesus, the judge. And the heavenly attendant, probably an angel, begins to read the indictment of Romans 1 to 3. That we have all suppressed the truth. That we all walked away from God. We've all gone our different ways. Our own ways. And that we all miss short of God's splendor, his perfection, and his glory. And of course the only verdict can be Guilty. But then something happens. King Jesus turns to the father. And he shows his nail-pierced hands. (laughs) And the father starts to smile. And he nods. And Jesus goes. And he stuns the courtroom. Because instead of guilty verdict, he says justified. Forgiven. Righteous. Perfect. Holy. This is the amazing grace of God. God did what no man could do. He paid the price for himself. God paid the credit card. Jesus paid the credit card. That's why Jesus is called our Jubilee. Not his 50 years. He's our eternal Jubilee. What a beautiful thing, isn't it? We celebrated Jubilee last week. He is our Jubilee. Why? Because he paid our forever debt. So he will be our forever Jubilee. Isn't that powerful? So wonderful. The freedom that it brings It's so wonderful. you become so happy. I hope today that you get so happy to be reminded of what God has given to you. Reminded of what the reformers fought for. They didn't know this before that all stuck in Rome and all fearful, I'm going to purgatory, I'm going to make it. No, yes, you'll make it. You don't have to be afraid anymore. When you are in Christ, you're a new creation. You are hidden in Christ. You have a new life. You are saved. You will go to heaven. You already are in heaven because your spirit is already seated with him in heavenly places. Isaiah 53, surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities and the punishment that brought us peace was upon him and by his wounds we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each one of us has turned our own way and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. I'm forever grateful. It's a beautiful song and I'm forever grateful to you for the cross. I'm forever grateful. Now I want to finish by reading verse 24 from the Passion Translation. Listen to this. Through his powerful declaration of acquittal, God freely gives away his righteousness to you. His gift of love and favor now cascades over us. All because of Jesus, the Anointed One. He has liberated us from the guilt and the punishment and the power of sin. And that's why celebrating communion every day and when you get together with your life group on whatever is so important. Because every time you break the bread and every time you drink the cup, you proclaim him. You proclaim his death. You proclaim the new covenant over your life. It is so powerful. God has given away his righteousness. Aren't you pretty happy with that? I'm pretty happy with this. He gave away Jesus. For God so loved the world that he gave his son. Jesus so that everyone who believes in him would not perish but have eternal life for God did not come into the world to condemn the world but to save the world through Jesus Christ I tell you something about this bread this is the body of Christ and I want you to get a real vision we're going to do communion in the next four weeks we're going to every Sunday we do communion I hope you do it every day and see how it will change your life like I said last week, guys, this is not just ritual. Communion is not ritual. In many churches, it's ritual. I know some churches, if you do it once a month. It's like a ritual. It's like a reminder, you know, of what actually Jesus Christ, which is nice to remind. But this is not a ritual. A ritual. It is not symbolic, although there's symbolism in it. The Protestant church, they, 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 they made communion into a, a, a um, symbolism only. A lot of the uh, church. The Catholic Church has gone the other way. The Catholic Church, okay, this actually becomes trans-substitution. It's quite a hard word for dutchy And they actually said this actually becomes the body of Christ and becomes his blood. Now, in some ways, it's actually not far off. But the thing is, though, in their idea, they recrucify Jesus every week. And that's wrong too. He's already been crucified once for all. Now it's somewhere in the middle is the truth. And you've got to make room for that in your theology. This is substance. In the same way that faith is substance, you can't see faith, but faith moves mountains. It's substance. When you have the body of Christ, it's life. It is substance. Things change. You apply it to your body and you remind yourself, his body was broken for me. For my healing, 2,000 years ago, it is not only your covenant, you're right, but it's the body right here, is that life is you eating that life right here. And when you take the cup, it is not just to remind us of our forgiveness. that's lovely and it's wonderful, and we celebrate this. But this is the blood of the new covenant. When we drink this, we say, Jesus, like every morning I've done, I say, thank you, Lord, for the new covenant. Thank you, Lord, that I'm a new creation. Thank you, Lord, there's a new deal in town. Thank you, Lord, that all the promises in the covenant are yes and amen in my life. And today as I go into work, I drink to you. I drink this cup because I I, I need your life in my life. I need your life in my marriage. I need your life in my work, in my school place. Wherever I go, I need to drink your life. It is real. Not your symbolism, it's powerful, powerful in your life and I suggest you try it, to do it every day, even with your spouse or your partner or somebody else, whatever you want to do, do it together. So today we're going to celebrate, now last week we had these beautiful chunks, I love it. Like I said last week, we were in Santorini together in Greece, and out of this, this um, Greek Orthodox church, they came out with these massive pieces of bread. I said, What is that all about? But when I heard afterward, Brian Simmons, when I heard what he was sharing about this, I thought, Man, there was actually, they have this, and they um, um, I'm eating Jesus. I love Jesus. I am more. I eat Jesus. I, I want his body in my life. Not as a little thing like, Oh, this is nice. A nice little, uh, you know, symbolism of a little craver, a little thing. It's not that way. I want you to change your mind about this whole thing. It's the life of God. You eat the life of God. It, he says, I'm the bread of life. Who eats for me? Powerful. And when you drink the cup, I know you have a little cup because for organization's sake, we have the little cups. How can we organize this massive thing, you know? We used to have the big, big cups like this. Sorry, I'm, 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 The big cups like this, but it was a bit gross because you had everybody drinks here and then they cleaned it and they changed it and then next and changed it. It was a bit, bit you know. A bit iffy for those who have colds and sickness and, yeah, anyway. Although they say that the wine, if it's real wine, is actually no problem. That's, that's what they say. And probably is that way, but we don't do real wine here. You can do real wine if you want to. By the way, talking about wine, I'm still eating, by the way. I'm having a great time. Am I throwing your taboos out of the window? Um. One of the things is too, when you drink the wine, what does wine stand for, new wine? Holy Spirit, well done. Holy Spirit. When you take the wine, remind yourself this is my new life, I've got a new life. Think about the joy of the Holy Spirit. Think about Pentecost when they get all blasted by the Holy Spirit. They all started laughing. They thought they were drunk in the morning. They were drinking wine, they were filled with the Holy Spirit. Think about wine, the spirit life that you have been given. Thank you, Lord, for new life in my life. And I toast you on this. See, think about those things. Amen? So this is the love feast. In the early church, they actually would have a meal together and then communion at the end. I said it last week. That's why actually some were drunk. It was not because they were drunk of the wine of communion. It was because they had been drinking in in the, the actual uh, lunch or whatever they were doing, you know, in the love feast. And at the end of it, they were like, we've got to have communion now, but I'm kind of like a bit tipsy, And that's what he was saying. He says, and now, and now you're not acknowledging now the blood. Because you're drunk, you don't know what you're doing. Now you're no longer acknowledging. And he says, some of you are sick, and some of you even... So I think i some of my mouth. Okay, let me... Um, sorry, I need some more. I think it's gluten-free bread. Is that gluten-free bread? <laughs> anyway, they says some of you are sick and die before your time. Because they were not acknowledging the power of communion, they became sick and they died before that time. The opposite is true too. When you acknowledge communion, you live. It gives you health. You don't live before your time. Die before your time. Come on. Let's believe this stuff. It's in the scripture, you know. It's in the Bible, right? So we're going to celebrate the love feast together, even this morning. Little waivers now, I know, don't get offended. It's just basically organizationally. We'll do it again with big bread one day. You can do it at home. At home, big bread, and a live group big bread, and just kind of stuff yourself. But you know, but not here. Here we do it like organizationally. And so we're just gonna take the love feast. And the love feast is really our communion with Christ, is the love feast. It is the it is the romance of the ages, it is the love affair that never runs dry. We celebrate with the With the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we come into that life as Christ has drawn us into that life of God. That's what we're doing. And from that life, sustenance comes into our life. Amen? Thank you, Lord, for your life given to us. Thank you, Jesus, that your sacrifice, your life given, has brought us your life. New life, spirit life, powerful life, glorious life. Thank you, Lord, that the same Holy Spirit lives in us that rose Jesus from the grave. And even in this room right now, as we start taking communion, that the substance, the substance of your body and your blood would manifest in our lives when we need healing, when we need deliverance, when we need encouragement. Your life would infiltrate in every part of our lives, every cell that we have, and give us life. When Israel left with about 3 million people, no one was feeble. No one was sick. Father, I pray in this church that we will not be under the sickness of this world. The, 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 the statement that is on this world. The sentence that is on the ground. Thank you that we are new creations in Christ and our bodies will follow. I know sometimes we can't have everything because we still live in this fallen world. But thank you, Lord, that your power, that's where we drink it. Lord, we can be protected. We can be empowered by your spirit that manifests in our body, in our lives. Lord, we honor you. For everything you've given to us. We're so grateful for the new covenant. We're so grateful for Jesus. And we give you all praise. And we celebrate now. Together the love feast. In Jesus name. Amen.